So as I promised last week, if you were here last week, this morning I want to give you a bit of a vision, which is simultaneously several things. It's uh, my fervent hope for Holy Trinity, and it's that which, in terms of my public self, uh, that I hope to work on uh, for the rest of my life, uh, be a, uh, or the major part of the, of the work of the rest of my life. And that's this, the church at peace. The church at peace with God, the church at peace with itself, and the church at peace in the world. So that obviously sounds good, but what can be the meaning of peace when the stress of basic life leads to battles in every human sphere? And these battles are typically rooted in fear and despair, And that fear and despair then typically justifies the hatred and violence and war that we see all around us, or that we see all around us. So it seems to me that strife and conflict seem much more real, much more in our face than peace. So what do I even mean when I talk about peace? And I think the first thing to say is that peace is not a weak, romantic idea. It's not for those who are idealistic or impractical or dreamy in their view of life. Clearly, Jesus could not have been commending something that's merely dreamy. And I think it's good to hold in our mind that peace is not always just the absence of conflict. Peace is something more like a rest within our will, even in the midst of conflict. The kind of peace that I'm commending comes from a divine assurance about how things are ultimately going to turn out. Such that peace, then, is a quiet, grounded experience of tranquility that comes from feeling safe and secure within the power and competent love of God, such that we know the world to be a perfectly safe place for me to be. If we were to think of it in a more Hebrew sort of way, we might think of peace as the experience of completeness, of wholeness, of a kind of contentedness. It's a quiet, calm, serene core, and it's really fundamental to the good life that Jesus commended. So now just if you can, just take a moment and picture the words and works of Jesus. And fundamental to that life that he was commending was peace. And it wasn't just him. And there's a long, holistic, biblical vision of this. For instance, Isaiah 26, you know this famous passage, God keeps in perfect peace those whose minds are stayed upon him. Their minds stayed upon him because they trust him. Or think of the Pauline ways of putting it. Many times Paul talks about peace. But for instance, Philippians 4, don't be anxious. Now that can just sound like a parent, right? Like clean up your room or something. And sometimes we hear Paul that way. Don't be anxious, you know, like bad dog. Don't be anxious. But that's not what Paul's getting at. He says, don't be anxious, but pray. That is to say, converse with God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, So Paul's saying there are things going on around you that make anxiety normative. But in the midst of that, within you can be a peace that surpasses any understanding that you could possibly have of what's going on around you. And such peace, Paul says, will guard your heart and your mind. Or in Romans 8, Paul puts it this way, the mind governed by the flesh, and when Paul uses the word flesh in contexts like these, he doesn't mean our body parts, Uh, He means something like the aspects of the human person that is currently in rebellion to God. So the mind 
governed by a kind of rebellion or malalignment with God is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. So that's what I mean when I talk about peace. So let's talk about what would it mean that this vision of mind for the church at peace with God. I mean to say the church at peace with God through taking Jesus serious and by pursuing the conversion of our whole selves, body, soul, mind, will, spirit, our social selves, such that we joyfully align with his purposes. And we find the meaning for our lives as participants in the divine narrative. That is the only thing that will ever put you at peace with God. When people say, you know, uh, you know, at a deathbed or something, well, I made my peace with God, or have you made your peace with God? When that gets reduced to uh, merely have your sins been forgiven, that is not coherent enough to take all the many separate, disparate, discrete, various parts of your life and make them into something whole. To have that kind of peace with God means that we have to come to the point where we say, the divine narrative, what God is up to on earth, that is my meaning. That makes meaning for me. That is my story. And so when the psalmist says, Psalm 119, great peace have those who love your law, that sounds really odd, doesn't it? Like who loves stoplights? and stop signs and the IRS tax code and speed limits, right? And that's what we tend to think of when we think of law. But law to the Hebrews, to God's ancient people, would have meant something more like guidance, mentoring. Um, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It would have meant something more like leadership. So great peace have those who take their lead from God who welcome into their life thy rod and thy staff and welcome that kind of guidance that was found in Torah, the law. Then secondly, at peace with ourselves, our reading in Romans 14 this morning is that famous passage, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so in my own vision, when I think of being at the church at peace with ourselves, that has a double meaning for me. It means a peace inwardly within ourselves through the kind of spiritual formation we've talked about for 10 years, but also peace in community through the healing and deliverance and wholeness that comes from spirit-filled, spirit-animated, spiritual transformation, the kind of transformation that comes to those who give themselves as an apprentice to Jesus and become his constant student in kingdom living. That will give us peace within ourselves and peace amongst ourselves. This, I think, again, is what Paul's getting at in our Romans reading when he says, make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. And then Paul envisions this happening and and says at the end of 15, and the God of peace be with you all. So a peace within and a peace with each other. And then lastly, and um, I don't know if it's most importantly, but it it feels sort of in in a context and time point of view, maybe most important, at peace in the world. And this is what Treveca alerted us to as we began, where Jesus says, I've said these things to you that in me, and at least note that in your head or circle it in your bulletin or something, that in me you may have peace. And so can I just say again, when you're looking at election cycles or your stock portfolio or whatever's going on is a source of peace, just, guys, it's not gonna work. It doesn't work for me, it's not gonna work for you. The promise here is in me. 
you may have peace. For in the world, you're going to have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. And so for me, the primary sort of vital knowledge, the the kind of mountain I want to stand on and shout these days is this notion that this is our Father's world and that the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Spirit are this world's creator and savior and sustaining superintendent. And humanity is not a human project. Humanity remains God's project. And so we live in this Trinitarian bathed world, which by his loving, wise design is perfectly suited to finding God and serving others. Divine intention is not in doubt. Of his telos, we can be totally assured that one day Jesus will hand over the kingdom to his Father and everything will be perfect. No more tears or pain, just the knowledge that God is God and that he's been right all along and that he's been working on our behalf from creation up to the new heavens and the new earth. And so then modeling our lives upon the incarnate Christ, who currently lives and fills creation, we're invited to a participation in Jesus's life now. And this means that the church, the people of God in the world, can cultivate habits of heart from which we love extravagantly, take joyful risks, and forgive generously. I mean, given the omnipotence of the God with which we work, that means that favor and money and power, they're not zero-sum issues. And thus, we never need to fight or quarrel or grab, for we are at peace. Well, as I was thinking about this week, I realized that for 10 years now almost, and if you count our preview services, more than 10 years, Uh, But for 10 years now, we've prayed this prayer together every week. And in a few moments, Dennis will lead us in praying this again. As we're done with communion and we're turning outward, we'll uh, we'll say all together, send us now into the world in peace. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. And the point of liturgy is that that would shape our imaginations, that we don't just say that every week, but we kind of take it in and live it out. It becomes imaginative. It becomes a reality that we embody for the years to come. So I've been doing something for a number of months now that I've never really told any about because I just, I don't know, never thought of it. And especially when I would sit over there when we were having really crowded services and I would sit over there, I was forced to look out those windows. I want to invite you to do the same right now. To look out those windows and notice that building going up. And one day as I was sitting there, I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, you know, Todd, this is what you've done, what we've done together. And we've kind of erected the frame of something and it's going up and there's progress and there's some temporary scaffolding, like maybe that summer together or something. I don't know. I'm not very prophetic, but go with me here. like, you know, maybe that's summer together or something, but, but this is what we've been doing together. But now look out there again, and I want you to imagine it completed. It's Southern California, so it'll probably be stucco. I think the rest of the buildings are stucco. So maybe a nicely painted white stucco, and it'll be all done, and nice trim and furnishings. And this is what I imagine you guys doing together with Jordan, that you will finish what we've begun. And I have every confidence that that will be the case. 
And I think in this period of, of transformation and transition we've been going through for a long number of months now, I think we've realized the real love we have for each other, the mutual commitment to doing this together. And I think what we've read this morning in our passages just alerts us to the knowledge that transitions are okay. That God is in the feelings of instability. We're always safe in him, as I've said. And with God and each other, we can confidently enter uncertainty and come out on the other side transformed in a way that only transitions can create. There's some forms of transformation that you just can't experience without going through transitions. So I know that for me, I'm certainly going to be leaving tasks and relationships that I genuinely love. I know that the fullness of grief will take some time. And I just happened to discover, I don't know, it feels like maybe three or four months ago or something, I rediscovered this little prayer book I have called Centering Prayers. And one of the days, and I think it's in March or something, in Centering Prayers, there's these words that I've sat with now for numbers of months, and I commend them to you. Prompt me into your possibilities. For I consent to your work of renovation and trust in your vision for my becoming rather than my addiction to what I've been. I don't know how many hundreds of times I've said that to myself over the last few months. Prompt me into your possibilities. For I consent to your work of renovation and I trust your vision for my becoming rather than my addiction to what I've been. Amen. So this morning for our quiet time, I don't want you to do any work. I'm not going to ask you to think about anything or consider anything. I want to ask you again to just kind of close your eyes and make yourself present to hear this biblical blessing. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit.